Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to 3, a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. And hopefully the time off will suit us as well as Novak Djokovic was suited by the time off since the U.S. Open. He's right back in the winner's circle. He hasn't lost since the Wimbledon final. Uh, He wins his 40th Masters 1000 title and his 7th Paris Masters. Paris double this year as well. Roland Garros, Bercy, um... Not a lot of players have done that, especially because the conditions are so drastically different. Uh, Djokovic beating Dimitrov in the final. But I actually think the final might have been, and we'll talk about it, not the most impressive aspect of this for Novak. When you look at the run as a whole, Amy, that's where I feel like it was really awesome stuff where he came through a lot of super tough matches. After having taken so many weeks off and then coming back and he wasn't physically at 100%. He battled some stomach issues and, you know, some other, at one point he had a wrist taped. It just was amazing because it was several high quality matches against high quality opponents. And he won in different ways. You know, one match involved coming to the net quite a bit, um, serving differently. Uh, The match against Rublev was just a baseline battle. And it's just so amazing how he can basically pick his way that he's going to win a match. And uh, just an incredibly impressive uh, run for Djokovic. Yeah, to see him play so well after not playing for so many weeks and to play this tournament the tournament he's now won it uh seven times and uh the rublev match yeah i thought that was very impressive i mean rublev was throwing everything at him everything rublev could throw at him that's kind of what we'll get into that more about the the challengers versus novak but yeah an impressive week he has to play over two and a half hours in three of these matches and he's dealing with a stomach bug as as Amy alluded to. And I thought the rust kind of came through against Greek Spore with some inconsistencies off the ground. Runa, the first serve, was really struggling uh, for a lot of that match. So there were technical issues that maybe were due to the rust. The one thing that was a hundred percent there was the mental. The competitive drive was so present. And I, I mean, look, it would have been understandable if it wasn't. It's November. He's won three majors this year. He's 36. Like what's so amazing about this to me, Joel, is that he's he still is is fighting like like it's for all the marbles. Like it's like his life is on the line. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it, this wasn't a situation, a circumstance where I necessarily uh, would expect that any human being uh, would be able to give that much. This is where watching tennis matches closely as we're lucky to do reveals so much. I'm with you, Gil. I, when I watch a very top, a top player like a Djokovic or a Federer, well, we'll put Nadal aside, but a player like that lose an opening set and it's early in the second and it's indoors in Europe. I think 
Well, it's going to be okay for him to kind of let it go if it happens, if the guy beats him five and four in a day and he'll graciously shake hands. And you guys will wait. No, this is their mission. And it's not about the Masters 1000. It's not about the, the Paris and the Roland Garros connection. It's just this match now, this guy now. And they know about work habits and how in a way – Whatever he does next year is because of what he did this week in Paris. In other words, work habits and sustained effort and grit. And to see the way he raised his intensity and concentration versus Rublev, was a very inspired opponent. I mean, playing Rublev indoors when he's hitting well is not easy. And this mm-hmm. guy's just throwing stuff and making Novak run and run and come up. And I think it's it's amazing some of these kind of defensive angles he comes up with and the points that kind of alter the flow of the rally because the opponents aren't that good at the net. So Novak kind of knows that and everything things. It's just, it's just remarkable to see him dig in to these matches. Again, you're right. The, no one's got, no one will look back and say, okay, Novak. Yeah. Lost uh, quarters round of 16 Paris indoors, Greeks for, okay, whatever. Zero blemish on the resume, but it's not about the resume. It's about that process in that moment. And it's just hmm. fantastic how these players like him dig in. Great point. And you are suggesting that not all players have that ability to just zoom in, uh, you know, at the in at the match at hand. I think they do. I think what goes, of course, I think they all do. I think just the competitive structure of tennis makes us triangulate our way to those who win. It's like I said to a coach once, I know, I know I'm, I'm a process person too, but nothing validates a process better than a good outcome. So there's, there's this viewing principle that we engage with, like the Heisenberg principle of watching players that makes us magnify and illuminate those those great ones who win, who generate the out, those outcomes. I mean, look, we know we we play tennis ourselves. We know how how great it is for anyone in any of these tournaments. How much they've climbed, but they come up against someone more skilled, and then that's that's one on one competition. I think this is one of those. Uh, cases where Novak's age actually benefits him because the focus on process and being in the moment and this point here and you know your your relationship with your own motivation is something that is practiced and maybe some of the younger guys you know they're not they're still not sure of where they are on those spectrums and um you know they they're they're young. They they still want to enjoy their youth, and and they're not really sure hundred percent where tennis fits into that. But Novak has seen the movie. He's he's been through all this. He's uh, he meditates on this stuff, and um, I think this is one of those things where his age is actually a huge benefit. Well, they haven't generated enough outcomes yet to give them that. But it's also just the way. I mean, look. It's funny. It's like I remember a talk I had with someone at our level. Someone says, well, you know, the thing about the four O's, this four five says they fold under pressure. I said, well, that's what the five O's say about the four fives. <laughs> this goes, it just is the levels of the game. And some of these younger players they're I mean, come on, they're great. We know how we know how incredible they are. We know how incredible they are to have gotten to be like 78 in the world or 52 in the world or seven in the world. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible tennis player. It's just you come up against someone better. That, that's why um, John Newcomb told me a great thing once about coaching and input. He said, be leery of getting too much input from someone who's never seen you win. Okay. Because if you lose, they see all the problems you don't solve. 
They see all your, you know, all your outstanding debits. But when they see you win, ah, oh, I see, I see. This is what you, this is what makes you thrive. And then we can build off that. So it's, it's, it's asset management. It's liability protection. And again, you see a guy like Novak. He's generated plenty of outcomes, so he can just be in that moment. Yeah. There's a yeah. toughness factor, though. Like speaking specifically to to the Runa match, I just think Novak is better at suffering, more willing to suffer. He wasn't feeling good out there in the third set. Runa was also not feeling good because he's got some endurance issues of his own. So it might be for different reasons. And yes, you know, we can't crawl into Novak's body and Holger's body and and compare like who felt worse. But I know for one thing, Runa was like, get me out of the suffering. I'm playing short points. I'm going for broke on my forehands. He's not digging in. He's not as tough where where Novak, he's like, look, I feel like crap. It doesn't mean I'm going to make an error. Yeah. Back to the suffering. Here we are. We're back at suffering. I like that. Interesting. But we don't know, like you said about crawling, we don't know the extent of the physical hindrances that were affecting each of those players. So just because they're each injured doesn't mean they're each, you know, one might yeah. be way more injured. And again, the experience part about having been through things. I mean, I think there's nothing like a sport that makes the case for experience over knowledge. I mean, playing a sport is not a conceptual experience. I, it's just, you know, no, that we, we don't know how to equate, you know, this guy was feeling this bad and this guy was less than 50% or whatever. Um, but Runa, some of his problem does have to do with cramping. Even indoors, we saw that. And, um, you know, Djokovic has pretty much got the the physical and how to deal with injuries, small and large, down pat. He's got that. Um, so we have to keep in mind, you know, what are issues or injuries related to conditioning and, and what are other types of injuries, which uh, Novak manages so well. Well, it's interesting with the younger contenders, like let's say uh, Runa and Alcarez, and I'm going to put Ben Shelton into this mix too. These guys, they're feel they're going to face a kind of a mental fitness, mental and fitness deal with Novak because Runa and Alcaraz, for example, they've beaten Novak. And so they've kind of, and this is different prior generations of contenders, let's say like Thomas Burdick, Sanga, David Ferrer, Nishikori. That was about skills. You know, we weren't hearing about them cramping. We were hearing about them not having the proper skill set to yep. top the greats. Now it's in a different stage with these guys who are even younger. I mean, it's funny. We could like triage and we saw this day in Paris with Dimitrov, you know, these new new contenders of 2012, 14, 16, 18, 19, 23, and, and what they bring to the table. I think what's exciting about these very young ones like Runa, Alcaraz, and Shelton is the skill set they bring. Far more yeah. diversified yeah. than prior contenders, such as Nishikori was like a cut from the Novak mold, 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 right? Yeah, I, I agree. You have you have a player like Ferrer or Nishikori, and it's like physically you're doing everything you can. Mentally, you're doing everything you can. Still not really there. You're not going to have you're the, both, the assets. The same. You're kind of of the same kind of game. I mean, people like Ferrer and Nishikori played not too dissimilarly from Novak compared to, let's say, yeah. Alcaraz, Shelton, Runa. Those three, the three new ones are more um, sophisticated and frequent volleyers, servers. 
Let's get I to think the if, final. If I just want to say this about playing shorter points, um, because uh, and I've said this, I've told this story many times about Federer, who happens to be someone who has beaten Novak on occasion. Um, the strategy of look, this guy is the all-time greatest, and I, I'm going to have to redline to beat him. Uh, so I'm going to really go for my shots, play aggressive and try to shorten the points to try to win that zero to four category. I think that is a trap. Um, and and as Federer said, uh, you have to be able you have to be willing to play a longer point at any given moment. Um, and if you're not willing and you're trying to force a shorter point, that's uh, not a good strategy, according to Federer. So um, this, you know, I've got to try to play a shorter point, I don't think is a, is a good mentality. The language, and this will come in, you, I, you mentioned, Bill, you want to talk about the final. I think this will segue naturally into Dimitrov and Novak in the final. The language is not that I have to play a shorter point. The language is I have to figure out a way to apply pressure. And if that takes me three, seven, or 12 shots, so be it. But I have to have that mindset. So, Gil, you want to you tee up the final a little bit? And Sure. I mean, Dimitrov was pressing and made way too many mistakes. Uh, it was it, to me, it was not, it was not nearly the Dimitrov that uh, had two top ten victories and and route to this final. Who's been playing easily a top ten level since after the U.S. Open and arguably a top ten level all year long. It was a fun debate I actually had in my last mailbag, but. Um, I think maybe the physical stuff also came into play here uh, with Grigor, where you come into the final, Novak's played a lot of really long physical matches. Grigor's played a lot of really long physical matches. Both of them aren't going to be feeling good, but Novak sent a message you know, really early on. I'm going to stay super solid. I'm going to be willing to defend. And uh, Dimitrov was attacking, I think, more than Djokovic. And uh, and missing more than Djokovic. That's kind of how I how I saw it, Joel. What about you? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, I would agree. Well, look, we know when it comes to lockdown, I mean, Novak is just unsurpassed, right? I mean, just like you see the way he, like the tiebreakers are these great examples. He didn't play one in the finals, but in these other matches, the way he plays them and the way he he knows his game and he goes about his business. I think Dimitrov, um, heck of a lot easier to be an attacking player when you're playing against a one-handed backhand such as Tsitsipas, or you're playing someone like Medvedev who surrenders a lot of court positioning and space to you. Uh, those are his two top wins, top 10 t- wins this week. And uh, he also beat Musetti another one-hander. I mean, it's a whole different deal against a guy like Novak with that two-hander and he's standing three feet closer to the baseline and and on you. I just think I just think it's kind of showed to me, I wrote about this in the preview. I thought Dimitrov, uh, he get, make his backhand is vulnerable in rallies and I don't think he's always known how to really deploy it as an attacking shot. I, and, by atta- and by attacking, I don't consider that to mean a sweeping one-handed down-the-line winner. 
I mean, a sense of moving forward. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll give you a contrast to him who didn't have as good a backhand, but understood his game better. Patrick Rafter. He understood his game more and built skills that allowed him to be in a position to apply pressure with net rushing. And I know about courts and surfaces and all that, but I just think, I think Dimitrov in a way, he cast the die in this playing style many years ago. The baby fed notion, the, the smoothness, the style. He's a very likable person. I like Grigor Dimitrov a lot. And I know he works hard, but I just think it kind of come up against these guys and you're just kind of like, okay, hit a lot of nice shots. Just wasn't my day, but. It was nice that it was nice that Novak was so gracious and comforted Grigor, who was, you know, in tears after the match, which was kind of good to see because that told me that Grigor really thought he could win the match and was disappointed that he didn't. So that's actually really positive for Dimitrov. I also think his I think the performance in general was probably weighing on on Dimitrov because I, I don't think he feels like he was able to present himself, you know, and his level to where he's capable of. So maybe maybe not trying to be the he was not the good boy. He couldn't entertain the crowd or give them the match. That would be something within his personality. But um, I would love to see a stat on Novak's record against one handed backhands because it's got to be one of the best of all time. He knows the patterns. It's so easy. This was a low bouncing court. You know, I'm not sure that Grigor should have even hit a drive backhand today. Well, he sliced a lot throughout the tournament. I don't know. Did yeah. he serve volley? How many did he serve volley today? Yeah, once. Once. See, see, to me, to me, I don't know. Look, this is the very highest levels of the game. So I always feel reluctant to talk this way about these folks. But I would say, okay, you're playing a guy you're one and eleven against. One and eleven. The last time you beat him was 10 years ago on clay. So you can hit a lot of what great you can hit a great many rallies and think you can get, but in a way, he was never really in that match. And at, every, at the critical stages of each set, blink, there you go. And, and the score, oh, four and three, whatever, that's nice. Lots of nice shots. Or you're gonna, okay, tell you what, what, what is going to stop you from serving volleying 10 times? And I don't care. And, and, and so what if you get passed every single time? You're still forcing Novak to do something that might even help you in other rallies. And so what, it, it reminded we had this discussion after, uh, I believe, Tommy Paul lost to Novak in the Australian Open semis. It does seem that that some of the the some of the serve volleyers um, have been at least getting a set or a close set off of Novak in in recent months once, or the last year. Once low bouncing into a court once to serve a volley. I, I get it. I you won get the it. point, by the way. All right, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean. And I mean, and I think, like I've said before, when you come to when you serve a volley, even if you lose the point, you gain a I call it a tax credit. Well, well, I mean, I the the reason I resonate with that more, like I actually might push back against that and be like, look, Grigor has beat Medvedev staying back this week. Um, for not 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 actually. I mean, he's coming forward a lot in these matches, actually more than he was able to against Novak. Uh, you know, Titi Pas, same thing. And I would say, you know, he he's not just going to turn full serve and volley against Novak, which I know you're not calling for, but let me actually say his legs were just looking shaky from the very start in the final. And like, maybe you know that you're not going to be able to hang from the back by going for, you know, low percentage attacking ground strokes. There's no way you're getting through Djokovic uh, from the back of the court quickly and easily. So, you know, it would have made a lot more, it would have made some sense to me actually, if he, 
if he leaned a little bit more heavily on the serve and volley, especially after the first set. There was one return game in the whole match where I felt Dimitrov was like willing to work the point and go, you know, as long as as necessary to find an opening. And that was in the first set when he was returning at four or five. Other than that, it it just seemed like the shot tolerance wasn't there and he needed to find a finish quickly and the forehand was just leaking errors. Well, these rallies of Novak are just excruciating. I mean, there's some great rallies they have. And Dimitrov won his share. I'm sure he won 43% of the points or some total like that that's, that would appear encouraging, but is not really meaningful. You know, that's the thing with a lot of this data that comes across. Um, I just, um, and again, I'm not trying to bash him too much because again, I like Dimitrov. I admire him. I agree that this has been yet another, a, a nice kind of resurgent year for him. I hope that puts him in a position to kind of like push ahead more in 2024. I mean, he's 32, but he, look how fit he is. He's fit. He's strong. He beat Tiafo at Wimbledon, play some good tennis. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he can get, so this will probably take him inside the top 15. He was 17 this week. So, it's, so let's see. Can we go uh, back to the backhand thing? Amy, um, you said that he probably shouldn't have hit a drive backhand the entire match and the slice backhand in, in Paris. That's a huge reason why he, he killed it this week because, because of that low bounce. And, uh, you know, he was following it up well with, with aggressive, with, you know, the hard stuff and the fast stuff. So that's the combination you're looking for, you know, pull guys in inside the baseline, make them hit up on the ball and then, and then hit the next one with aggression. Um, I was impressed with, how well Djokovic handled the slice. And um, I, I think that should be kind of highlighted. It's like how Djokovic's backhand slice has gotten really good. And I think as a result, it's become a lot harder to make progress when you are slicing your backhand cross court to his backhand. You know, when, when you're doing that against Medvedev, it's money. Like you really, he's really in trouble there. He can't do what he wants to do because he has to kind of move inside the baseline and hit up on this really flat backhand. But Djokovic can look at a good slice and he can go, okay, I'll slice back. Mm -hmm. and, and it becomes the slice wars. Um, and, and I think, again, it, it's a testament to his fitness because these were low bouncing courts and you had to get low with your legs. And for Grigor to not look as physically um, fit after this deep run going all the way to the finals and his legs were a little shaky, that's normal 32-year-old legs. Um, Djokovic is not normal. He's, he's uh, you know, a, a freak of nature. He, his fitness levels are just all that, his nutrition, everything. So, um, yeah, he was able to get lower than Runa and, and come through it. Um, he outlasted Rublev, and, and this match um, was able to come through really easily. So he's a freak of nurture also because he's put in the work to make himself. Yes, uh, that's a great phrase. Use the, that, Joel. I'm, I got it. And the, and the technique, you compare that to Medvedev, who's got a great backhand, but it's more of a, it's not as technically sound as Novak's. Medvedev's view of the court is different. You know, if you if you if you showed how Medvedev used the court, he'd see that forward part is danger, danger. Not sure, not as comfortable here. Whip it back cross court. I don't defend well from here. I defend yeah. well from back here. I don't mm -hmm. defend well from the ball being shorter. Think about that. There's, 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 tell that to me, a Californian. Yeah, I don't defend well when the ball is hit shorter to me. So, so whereas um, 
Novak, yes, he can go re-slice, which is kind of fine. Let's have a little carvathon, or he can drive, or he can redirect forcefully down the line. So it's not a. It's funny. Um, you guys might not know this, but when the two-hander emerged 50 years ago, one of the raps on it was, "Oh, it's not so good on low balls." And again, on bad grass, it was occasionally exposed, but not really. I mean, God, people like Connors and Agassi and Djokovic have proven, okay, you want to you want to hit low to my two-hander? Here I come. I got it. Now, a quality approach, right surface. Again, this gets to identity and court position. Like, again, I'm going to go back to my Patrick Rafter, who didn't have as good a technique as Dimitrov, but he understood this is how I got to use this. And I got to be in court position. And maybe instead of just carving and staying a foot behind the baseline, I'm a foot closer to the baseline. You know, I'm kind of jockeying my way forward with the carve. And now comes the carve low. And now I creep my way into net. And these things, and that's, and maybe your point is spot on, Gil, is that Dimitrov didn't feel in the legs, didn't feel quite the spring. So that, all right, I'm going to have to just kind of like settle in here and try to win arduous baseline rallies. He, his opportunism, you know, it's like a basket, it's like a basketball team not able to run the fast break. He just wasn't comfortable playing high percentage tennis from the baseline to, for me. He, he wanted to do damage, desperate to do damage. Or high um, percentage tennis from inside the court. Yeah, the net stuff is not low percentage. The net stuff is is that's your play. Yeah, but you got to do it quickly. Like that's why you need right. If you if you plan on getting in, that's why you do it behind your serve so you know that you have a that you're gonna get there because yeah. Novak hits a good return and now the ball's deep and the ball's still deep and the ball's still deep and suddenly you didn't get yeah. to net like you wanted. And you've exhausted yourself. Joel, to that's lose such the an, point. Yeah, that too. <laughs> That's such an interesting um, thing about like the, the discourse around the two-hander uh, was that it wasn't good on, on low balls. I, I do think, it be, I feel like more and more that's becoming not true. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that became true. I mean, again, that became the good ones like Everett, Connors, and uh, later Agassi, they, they disproved that. It was like, it's like, well, how do you attack this thing? You know, it's like there, it was a new weapon. It was the AI of the seventies, the emergence of the two handers. So how do you, how do you diffuse it? And so it certainly wasn't the waist high ball. So there's the still thing, some, there's still some truth to it though. Right? Like you still want, you want, yeah, but you want, a, if you have a two hander, I mean, I was taught this from the age of, of six. And I think when I watch pro tennis, I, I still see it when the ball gets lower than you want on your backhand side and you have a two hander, you should probably slice. That's probably going to be your, your best response to that contact point being broken. I just think there are a lot of players nowadays who uh, are able to ignore that advice at a pretty high level. Well, the trick I think in Novak shows us is the footwork of getting up to the ball. Federer, look, look how Federer hit short one-handed cross-court slices to two-handers, made them reach. It was awkward for some, not awkward for others. I mean, so, and again, not all two two handers are not monolithic. I mean, some like the ones we just talked about. Like, look at Medvedev and look at Djokovic. Djokovic is more in the Agassi Connors range, where it's about moving up to the ball. You know, so it's about the feet that drive. It's a, the feet propel the drive. You know, with Medvedev, while he gets around okay, I think it's always like the arms are doing the work, and here comes the body along for the ride. All right, so um, year-end championships will wrap up the year for Novak. I think he'll finish number one if he just, like, this is not, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure if he just wins, like, one match, he'll have it wrapped up because he's, like, 
1500 he's about 1500 points ahead and that's the number of points on offer at the year-end championship so it's gonna be number eight i believe do you guys <laughs> think so i mean computer or not i mean it, let's pretend that doesn't happen and sure. Alcaraz finishes his number one on the computer who's the best tennis player of 2023 joke so, right yeah. and there have been other years like this before so to me I, it, it speaks to i guess the way the amount of participation each man was able to have and Novak missed not choosing to miss certain parts of the year. Uh, so that's. And Alcaraz missing certain parts of the year, not by choice. Exactly. So. Exactly. So either way. um, Yeah, that's the, and that's the guy reaches four slam finals and wins three of them. Oof, what a year. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if he can put the year end championship on top of that, then we'll have to have a conversation about where 2023 ranks uh, in his career, which is which is remarkable. Djokovic, champion at the Paris Bercy Masters, uh, just a, a more impressive run from actually watching it than what you would assume on paper. Like if we said, oh, Djokovic won Paris, not a big deal, but just watching it, there was a lot there that was remarkable. Hope you, um, I forgot the, uh, the proper outro here because it's uh it's been so long that'll do it for this episode of three remember we're available on all podcast platforms we appreciate if you leave a rating and a review on apple and if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe we will see you next time on the next episode of three